Would you continue to pray with me as we lift up the name of God, the name of Jesus in worship today? Spirit, you are welcome here. We invite you to fill this place, flood the atmosphere, helping us to know that we are in the presence of the living God this morning. God, we ask that you would shine the light of your glory in this place that you would speak to us through your word of your call on our lives, that you would remind us of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that is available through your son Jesus every day. And give us the courage to go from this place today knowing that we are sent to be storytellers of the one who gave his life so that we might have life and have it to the full. We thank you, we praise you, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning. It is good to be together. As Kara said, we are proud that you guys are all here. I have a little story to share with you. I found this uh, t-shirt in my closet. I thought it kind of went with my outfit, and I just will kind of do a little bit of a reveal here. I am being drawn into the community here, which is really what our series, A Story of Faith, is all about. God is drawing us through His Son. He's drawing us through His Spirit into a community of people who are called to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love, which is the new, new story for you and for me and for everyone every day. We are God's storytellers, we learned last week, where Jesus in Acts 1-8 invited his disciples to understand that after he departed, he would send the promised Holy Spirit to be with them and to empower them to be his witnesses or his storytellers in their hometown of Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and even to the Northwest Territories of the United States. We are exploring in this series that God, the God stories that encourage and inspire the faith in Faith Covenant Church. Not only are we celebrating the rich history of our own faith community here in our own Jerusalem called Sumner, but we'll also be able to hear real-life stories of how God is at work in people's lives today. That's why we've kind of begun to add all of these things on the platform. They're suggestive of, of, of history and stories. The objects that have story connected to them. And uh, we have uh, over here a, a communion table that uh, I discovered was the actual original communion table in the first church that was built in 1877 and f- was dedicated in 1878, which matches the pulpit that we introduced last week, which I was also able to confirm is in fact the original pulpit that was used in that tiny little church in the middle of nowhere, 1877, pre-Washington State, USA. I think we have a picture of that original building. That was the first church that was built, and in some of the reading I've been doing, apparently 
It was the first building constructed in what is now the town of Sumner. And the rest of the town grew around this tiny little church as a mission outpost on the mission field that is now greater Seattle area. We're looking at the story, not only of the birth of our church, but the birth of the church, the the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. And the story of the church we learned last week is really the story of the Spirit of God being unleashed through God's people into the world. Uh, It is the experience of these first Christians who received the gift of the Holy Spirit that transformed their understanding and experience of what it meant to be community that transformed their understanding of their identity and who they were in relationship to God, that that their identity in Christ gave them a, a whole new understanding of what it meant to be a human being on planet Earth, that led them to understand a greater depth of value and meaning to the work that they were called to do, and ultimately a deeper sense of God's purpose and his plan for their lives, understanding that God has a call on your life and on my life and on every person's life. And really, that is our discipleship pathway, as we've been describing it as a church. Community is always the the starting place where we begin to discover our story of who we are. We're born into a family. We have a history. We have a place that we've come from that informs who we are and where we're going. And out of that, we, we have a sense of our identity and how God has uniquely shaped each one of us for our good and for, for his glory, which then leads us to do meaningful work in the world, whether it's uh, ministry work in the church or it's kingdom work out there in the world through our careers and in our relationships and in our schools and through our families. All of those things lead us to a deeper sense of purpose and calling on our lives. And we want to understand that every Christian, every follower of Jesus is called into ministry. The word ministry simply just means service. And Jesus said, I have come to be among you as one who serves. And so our purpose, our calling in life is to be one who serves those that God would call us to. It's not just pastors or people on staff at a church who have a call. Everyone is called. And therefore, as we discover this journey of faith that we are on with Jesus, one of the bigger questions that we want to be asking of each other and everyone is, what is God's call on your life? What is the purpose for why he made you the way you are and put you in the community where he put you, the family that you came from? And what are the gifts that he has given you that he wants you to give away on behalf of his name and his kingdom? We pick up the story of that early church in Acts chapter 2 today. We're not going to be able to read the whole uh, book of Acts verse by verse, but we're going to highlight different pieces of the story along the way, and we'd encourage you to be reading through these early chapters of Acts at home during the week, and maybe in your Bible study you can share the things that God is revealing to you in your own study of the Scripture. But we're going to look at verses 1 through 13 of chapter 2 today, and we're reminded that When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. These are Jesus' disciples. He he had died and, and appeared to them alive again and promised them the Holy Spirit, and then he was taken up into heaven, and and now they've gathered together in one place. Maybe it was back in that upper room where he met with them and had communion and, and told them everything that was to come. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying with them, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring, what? The wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, ah, they just had too much wine. <laughs> what does this mean? It's the question that is begging to be asked by generation after generation who look back to the beginning of the church as their origin story, the beginning of the story of the people of faith who were followers of Jesus. What does this mean for you and for me? The story of the origin of a nation or the story of the origin of, of a people, or, or, or even the beginning of an institution or a church organization captures the imagination that lives on in later generations. Whether we are remembering the early years of the founding of our country that we celebrate every year on the 4th of July and Independence Day, and we fire off fireworks, and we, we remember the old stories of how we came to freedom in, in a country where we could worship God without fear of recrimination or punishment. Or remember the key events in a movement like the civil rights movement that was led by a pastor named Martin Luther King Jr., who we celebrate his life this weekend, tomorrow. And we recognize that the civil rights movement, which was a, a call for freedom from our, uh, our, our colored brothers and sisters, was led as a Christian movement of people seeking the Holy Spirit of God and being led for greater justice and freedom for those who are oppressed, which is why Jesus said he came. Or it's the celebration of the New Testament church and its birthday at Pentecost. Each generation desires to recall its founders' stories, the details of what happened to them, how this whole movement got started, because in those stories of origin are, are, are the answers to the questions of the why and what does this mean for us. See, as a people, we are reinvigorated by drawing comfort but also challenge from those early pioneers of the faith whose lives speak to us all these generations later and encourage us to persevere in our faith and to keep looking to Jesus as the author and the perfecter of that faith and to run the race that is marked out for us. The arrival of the day of Pentecost marks a key event in the salvation story that God is telling. Now, Pentecost is kind of a weird word. Simply just means 50 days after Passover. Pentecost, it's kind of a... I don't know, is it Latin? It's probably Latin. But 50 days after Passover was the Jewish feast of first fruits in their day. It was a, a most appropriate time, if we think about it, for the Holy Spirit to come because it was closely connected to the feast of Passover in the Jewish calendar, just as the Spirit's coming would be closely associated with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ at Passover. 
The Feast of First Fruits celebrated the first early harvest of the fruits of the promised land that was the inheritance of the people of Israel. Just as the Spirit is the first fruits of those who are the followers of Jesus Christ, the salvation blessings that come to those who have believed in Jesus in what he has come to offer. The Bible says that they were all together in one place. The disciples were in prayerful unity, doing what Jesus had commanded them to do, which was what? Wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't go running off ahead of me. Don't go off half-cocked, not knowing where you're going. Wait for the gift of the Spirit, and the Spirit will be the power that allows you to be my storytellers in Jerusalem and around the world. So here they are, huddled in in a room together, prayerfully waiting for this gift of the Holy Spirit that I'm sure they had no idea what to expect, right? And suddenly God gives sights and sounds, and there's a rushing wind that says fills the whole house, which suggested the divine presence of God comes in like a rushing wind, it says, and envelops not only every believer, but the entire building and the, and, and the people outside in the community heard the sound so much that it draws a crowd and everybody's coming together going, what is going on here? And tongues of fire come down and rest on each person. Everybody is included. It, it, the tongue of fire came down and rested on Pastor Peter. No, the tongues of fire came down and fell on all the people. And everybody started speaking, telling what? Of the wonders of God. And as they're telling God's stories, they're becoming God's witnesses. Everybody else around them from all these other countries that are coming to witness the spectacle are hearing it in their own language. And to this day, I can't figure out, were they talking in another language and that they didn't know, which is one definition of you know, speaking in tongues? Or were they speaking in their own Galilean language and somehow the Holy Spirit translated it so everybody hearing it heard it in their own language? It could have been one or it could have been both. We don't know, but the idea is that when the Holy Spirit came, they were able to bring the good news message of Jesus Christ and the wonderful works of God to the people of every nation, every tribe, and people could understand it in their own tongue. God's Spirit empowered those early disciples to be his storytellers to the nations. As the Spirit inspires their speech, they're speaking in human languages other than their own native tongues. And those who heard them speaking in these tongues were perplexed by this and asked, what does this mean? I'd like to suggest four things that we can look at from this text today that answers that question. And number one is I, God's plan for glorifying himself in, in, throughout the whole world among all the nations. God's, God's great strategy for glorifying himself is the church you and me, which always amazes me, because if God's plan was to glorify himself, why would he choose me and you? Sorry, no, no offense, man. But doesn't it kind of make you wonder, why would God choose flawed, broken, sinful human beings to be a community of people who are tasked with bringing the, telling the story of his glory to the world? 
And yet what a humbling, honoring experience it is that, that until this time, the Lord's people consisted of Israel along with a few Gentile converts that they called God-fearers. And it was through the nation that God exclusively worked and dealt to, to bring out a people for his own. You and I as, as Gentiles w- wouldn't have been included in that community. But now... God, through Jesus and the presence of the spirit that Jesus is providing, is forming what is called the body of Christ, the church made up of Jews and Gentiles, and and with a story to tell to all the nations. I think we need to remember that our purpose as the Lord's church in our day and in our time is not to focus on ourselves and our own experiences or even our, our, our own comfort, but to recognize that the spreading the knowledge of God throughout the world, beginning even in Jerusalem, was why God brought the church into existence to begin with. You see, the meaning of Pentecost is that God is equipping his church with the power of his spirit so that he will be glorified among all the nations. The second thing I think we can take away from this text is that the scope of God's plan is universal. It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for Jerusalem. It was a global perspective that God had. And God intended through these early believers, empowered by his spirit, that this good news message would spread throughout the world. Luke goes on through this long list of the nations that were represented being in Jerusalem at that time and having this experience. And he starts east of Israel and he ends up encircling the entire land, 360 degrees around Israel. And I think symbolically, he's representing that all of the nations of the world were represented in this experience, that that God was telling them and us that his word is not limited by borders or, or by communities or by nationalities or by ethnicities. His word is unstoppable through the power of his spirit and his people who are willing to tell that old, old story. The third thing is that it's necessary for the Spirit of God to empower the church to be able to fulfill this calling. Jesus said that the apostles would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which occurred on this day. And, And he also said, if you remember before he left in John, I am the vine and you are the branches. You must abide in me because without me you can do nothing. And so we're reminded here again that these disciples needed the power of the Spirit on them. And we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit isn't just some mystical force. It's not some, you know, cosmic force like in Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is one of the members of the Trinity. It is the presence and the power of God. It is the Spirit that Jesus had. And in that sense, it is the presence and power of Jesus with us through the Spirit of God. To receive the Holy Spirit is to receive the Spirit of Christ himself. Baptism in the Spirit refers to being totally identified with Jesus and with the Spirit that he carried as our initial birth into this new life that he's called us to. Paul in the Corinthians reminds them, For by one Spirit all were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. The disciples on the day of Pentecost weren't only baptized in the Spirit, but then Luke goes on in this story to say they were filled with the Spirit. Have you ever had that experience where where you're just 
you're full to overflowing with, with happiness or joy or contentment or peace. And, and, and there's this, this feeling of just being so full that it just, it just has to come out. You have to tell somebody. You want to share it with somebody. You want to you go somewhere and do something because you're so excited. I, I think that's the image that we have here is that the Holy Spirit came and met this group of disciples and they were so filled with the presence of God that they just couldn't help it. So they wanted to go tell everybody, you got to hear this story. It's amazing. And it was that enthusiasm and the joy and the excitement that was overflowing from these people that God used to have all of those onlookers go, wow, there is something really strange going on here. <laughs> but it caused them to want to know more. It caused them to want to desire what to understand what does this all mean. Now, I, I think it's a quick aside here. While the baptism of the Spirit is a, is a one-time event that every believer experiences, being filled with the Spirit happens over and over again. We can be filled with the Spirit in many ways and in many, at many different times. And the result of being filled with the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit, as Paul said, is not these ecstatic utterances of tongues and all of those things, although God may choose to use those if he wills. But Paul says that the, the evidence is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things are the evidence of God's people living filled with the Spirit and having those characteristics of God himself overflowing in our lives to those that we're in relationship, to one another, to the community around us, making us salt and light in the world. The fourth thing I'd like to suggest is that the goal of God's plan is that he would be glorified in all the world. In Revelation 5, John has a vision of the nations worshiping before God's throne. And if you've had a chance to read that or reflect on this image of worship in heaven someday, people of every nation, tribe, and tongue are there washed in white robes, and they're all standing before the throne saying, worthy is the Lamb. And God says, this vision is my vision of, of, of what eternity is going to look like People of every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping God. The purpose of the church is to go into the world to the places where there are no worship and to create worship, to create worshipers, not rule followers or religion keepers, but to create people who are so in awe of the wondrous works of God that they stand in worship and say, worthy is the lamb who is slain. Now, the tragedy is that in the text, we see that not all the people responded positively. Even when miracles happen, not everybody's going to be convinced. God's purpose at Pentecost was to equip his people with the mighty power of the Holy Spirit so that we could be his witnesses to all the nations, resulting ultimately in his glory and not our own. Now, as we hear this origin story of the early church, we understand that the church actually was born when they were baptized with the power of the Spirit and they were equipped to follow the call that Jesus had given them to go into all the world and to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit 
and teaching them everything that he had commanded. And that story carries through history uh, as they left Jerusalem and, and ended up in the Northwest Territories of the United States. And this little mission outpost was planted in the Wild West of the United States in 1877. And believers came together to be united in, the, in a place and to be entrusted with the power of the Spirit to carry on that story to those who would be moving here from the West or even to the indigenous people who already lived here. They had a heart to tell the old, old story in this new, new place. And that little tiny mission outpost, I think we have a picture of where, where it was originally built, was in the middle of this wide open territory with farmland all around And what we discover is that story always begins with community. Story always begins with community. Our origin story began with our family, who we were born to, where we grew up, the kind of people around us. And as a faith community, our origin story goes all the way back to that first community. I was doing some reading and just trying to catch up on the story, and I found a an article that was written for the 80th anniversary of the church a number of years ago. And in the article, they quote some excerpts from a letter that was discovered that was written by George H. Ryan, who was one of those early pioneers, who was a founder of the church, and who ultimately became the first mayor of Sumner when it was incorporated. Uh, When he was 84 years old, he wrote a letter to try and capture some of the history of the community. It says, the old Presbyterian church, as it was always familiar, as it was always familiarly, that's a tough one to say, familiarly called, known, was the first building erected on the Sumner town site and before the survey was done. Little did the builders realize that they were building better than they knew. That it should center population, influence, sentiment, that later many homes would cluster around it, that other dignified churches would also arise, well-supported, day schools, well-housed and efficiently conducted, that it should be a musical center, that the arts would be cultivated, that its denizens should love and cultivate flowers, and that the civic administration is and has been orderly, progressive, and economical. The church itself, the edifice, was always a source of pride. Materially, few better constructed buildings existed in the county at that time, and the united efforts that made its building possible gave a real feeling of possession. It was not a wayside shrine, it was a meeting house. None forgot that it was a Presbyterian church, yet the local aid in actual construction cemented an individual and a community interest that made it, in fact, a union church. I'm not familiar with that phrase, a union church, but what I would hear him say is, it made it a community church. Yeah, it was a Presbyterian church, but it was the center of our community. As as George Ryan is reflecting back to the, the founding of this church, he's saying it became the hub of life for this place. Music, arts, education we know came out of this little church and this group of people who had a heart to serve their community. And, and around this church, the city of Sumner and, and, and the surrounding area grew. There was one part in here that said that one of the headlines was Sumner founded on a church. See, I, I'd like to suggest that, that when the Holy Spirit comes, 
we are given a brand new origin story. No matter what our past was, no matter what our original story was, when the Holy Spirit shows up, our story becomes brand new because we have a brand new beginning. Now, it doesn't mean that God erases our past. He doesn't do away with the old story. Rather, the new story captures that history, captures that old story, rebirths it into a whole new way of understanding its value and meaning under the power of the Spirit and allows us to use that story as our foundation for living life under a new master, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We all have a mix of good and bad in our, in our own original stories, don't we? I mean, we all have experiences of brokenness. We all have experience of dysfunction in our families. We all have mistakes that we've made. And yet God comes and through the power of his spirit says, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you've done. What you've done, I can take all of that and I can rework it into my story so that it becomes a story of redemption and hope. But then the challenge is, that's the story that we have to tell. It's not, it's not a story of how great we are and how good we are and what a, what a great you know, believer I am. It's a story of how many times God has forgiven me for the mistakes that I continually make. It's a story of how God has taken the broken pieces of my life and he's put them back together in a way that I can actually function as a normal human being now. It's a way that he's taken my self-centeredness and my ego and he's, he's humbled me and allowed me to see, you know what, loving other people is more important than, than trying to get my own desires first. And all of that is the story of the mercy and grace of God that continually invites us through the Holy Spirit to allow that to be our true origin story. What is your origin story telling you? Is it a story of pride and arrogance? Is it a story of shame and guilt and brokenness? Is it a story of selfishness and seeking your own way? God doesn't care where you've been. God doesn't care what you've done. What God cares about is where are you going tomorrow? And are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to descend on you again today, to fill you from the inside out and allow today to be an origin story, a new season of life for you, for me, for our church? I believe that as we go through this year, as we're seeking the vitality pathway, part of the invitation is for us to be filled again in a whole new way with the Holy Spirit that will allow us to see this as an origin story for people who are going to be at this church 138 years from now. Wouldn't that be pretty cool if they were telling our story 138 years from now? How is God inviting us to learn from our origins and the origin of the faith community The big question of why. Why do it? Why live it? Why are we here? We don't have time to read the whole chapter, as I said, but if you go on and you look through, what comes after this part is Peter stands up and he tells the story. He gives his speech to the people who've come to gather her, asking, what does this mean? And my summary of Peter's speech is, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You want to know what's going on here? It's all about Jesus. You want to know what's happening? His death and resurrection are part of God's saving plan for you and for me. And we are all witnessing the outpouring of that power that is now available to everyone who would simply choose to receive it. The outpouring of God's spirit on all people. 
so that we can be empowered to be his storytellers. And that's my hope and my prayer for you and for me as we move forward as a church, that we will discover the ways that God wants to bring each of us and our story to be an important part of the story that we tell as a church. Because it's a story not of you and me, but it's a story of him. We shared that, the words from that song last week. If I were to tell you my story, it would be a story of grace. It would be a story of love. It would be a story of hope because it would be a story of Jesus. May our story be his story as we seek to tell that story to a world that is in desperate need of good news. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you are a storytelling God and that you have chosen to tell us your story in your word and that your story has become our story and that we can go to your word and that we can learn from our origin story who we are and who you are calling us to be today. God, would you empower us through your spirit to overcome our own brokenness and weakness, to discover new points of healing and wholeness, and would you unite us together as a faith community to go and tell that old, old story that through us can be new again. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.